right, you guys grab a seat. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Luke chapter 7, so feel free to open them up or turn them on. Uh, Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be hanging out tonight as we continue in this series called Hello, My Shame Is. And so if you weren't here with us last week, let me just give you a quick 60-second recap to get you up to speed on what we're talking about in this series. So last week was really an introduction to the series, and so we define shame using this kind of definition, this understanding that shame is focusing on the gap between who you are and who you should be. Right? So when we're here and we know we should be here and whatever, then we focus on that gap, that's when we experience shame. And we talked about this idea, the way that we usually handle shame is we try to hide. Right? We try to hide it. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? we try to clothe ourselves, we try to hide behind the trees. And although that seems like a solution, the problem is it's not. It's just an illusion because hiding our shame does nothing to erase what we've done. So just like Adam and Eve trying to hide from God or, or hiding themselves by wearing fig trees, right? That didn't erase what they had already done when they ate the fruit. And so we were left with this, this problem, this question of then how do we deal with those things in our life that we're ashamed of that we can't erase? And then I got all giddy because I said, that's what this series is about, right? That's what we're going to be talking about in this series. And so last week, we really just took the first step and we talked about this idea that in order to overcome shame in our life, we don't strive for perfection or we don't reach perfection. Instead, we focus on perspective. So shame is not overcome by perfection, it's overcome by perspective. And so we talked about this perspective of seeing ourselves the way that God sees us, which is what David does in Psalm 69. And so with that idea in mind, that's what we're diving into today. So we're going to continue to talk about this idea of how we can overcome shame by perspective and really dive deeper into what that means. So in order for us to do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 7. So again, if you have your Bibles, we're also going to have it on the screen so you can follow along with us. You'll be totally fine as well. Okay, so let me tell you about this awkward situation that I found myself in back when I was in college. So first two years I was in college, I lived at home, and my third year, I decided it'd be fun to become an RA on campus. And to be an RA where I went to school was actually really cool because the dorm game where I went was completely on point. And what I mean by that is we didn't have these dorms that are really just glorified closets that they put two beds in and tell people to live there, right? And <laughs> you guys know what I mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're in familiar territory here, I know. Instead, these were apartment-style dorms that had a complete kitchen, right? had a complete living room area. Each person had their own individual rooms. And what was crazy is that even some of the dorms, people had even individual bathrooms. And when you share a place with somebody, you understand having your own bathroom is the gift that always keeps giving, right? And so I, I applied to be an RA. I got it. And so one of these apartment buildings, you could say, was, was where my residence were. And so it was about 12 rooms that I was responsible for. And so early on in the school year, about this time, I was um, hanging out outside of my building. And right across the hall from me, there were some freshman guys uh, who played on the baseball team that were living there. And I thought <laughs> it would be a great idea because I was hearing music. I'm playing from their dorm. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to be a really good RA. And I'm just going to knock on the door, and I'm going to say, hey, guys, I know this music's just a little bit loud. I don't want you guys to get in trouble because I'm your boy, right? I'm your RA, right? My job as an RA is to look out for you, right? 
cultivate community, right? That's the phrase they use. We're supposed to cultivate community, right, and enforce policies. And so I'm, I'm going to knock on that door and say, hey, I'm looking out for y'all. I don't want you guys to get in trouble, so just turn the music down a little bit. You guys will be good to go. And I promise, I had pure and innocent motives when I knocked on that door. But poor Jesse, poor, naive Jesse, decided to knock on that door. And when I did, they had no idea who was knocking on it. Because it was amazing how quickly they grabbed that door and they swung it open. And when they did, I saw something I definitely did not expect to see. Because I saw a room full of people I saw a sea of red cello cups, and I saw a ping pong table set up in the living room. <laughs> and people, when they realized who I was, just stared at me, right, to see what this unexpected party crasher was going to do, right? They were just like these deer in headlights. They just sat here and looked at me. Now, the school I went to actually had a pretty, I was a pretty flexible, pretty loose um, alcohol policy. In fact, if you were... 21 and older, and everybody in your room was either, you know, was 21 or older, you could actually have alcohol in your room. And so this was a room where everybody was 21 and older, and everybody hanging out was 21 and older, that these guys have been completely fine. I just went knocked on the door and said, hey, you guys mind keeping the music down a little bit? Thanks. You guys have a good night. And I would have left. But unfortunately for them, and unfortunately for me, because this was a freshman dorm, these guys weren't allowed to have alcohol, right? It was a dry room. And what that meant is even with it being a dry room, regardless of the age of the people who were there, they were breaking one of the campus policies. And so ironically enough, my roommate was hanging out in that room. And ironically enough, he had literally turned 21 just a few days before that. But of course, he was breaking the campus policy by being there. And so the door is just wide open, right? It's just people staring at me. And as the RA of this building, as the person whose job is to enforce policy, I really had no other choice but to do something. And so there's some people who were hanging out. um, Well, actually, the RA's on call. We're hanging out not too far by. So I called them over, told everybody to sit down, and they kind of did their thing. Um, but, But needs to say, I didn't really do a good job of cultivating community that night, right? I wasn't. I wasn't a, the person that people were enjoying after that. In fact, I would say when, when I went to bed that night, I didn't have a lot of fans in my corner, uh, especially my roommate, because this guy never liked me after this. I mean, he never got over this whole ordeal. In fact, ironically, or really more comically, there were multiple people, because we were kind of in the same circles, who would come to me and talk to me about this, explaining how this guy thought about me because of that. And basically, in his mind, I was a snitch, right? Because I got him in trouble for being there, even though I was literally just doing my job as an RA. And the entire school year I lived with this guy, this label stuck with me. And he was like, no matter what I did, this is how this guy perceived me. This is how this guy saw me. Based upon this one action that I did that one night, I was labeled, in his mind, as a snitch. And and this doesn't surprise us, right? We get this because we understand this reality that every label starts with an action, right? Every label in our life starts with an action. And so for me, because I did that one action that one night, in this guy's mind, I was labeled as a snitch. And so that impacted the way that he saw me and it impacted the way that he treated me. 
Because again, every label starts with an action. And even when we think about our lives and we think about the different labels that we have, whether it's the athlete or the smart kid or the nice guy, we have that label because it's linked back to some kind of action, using action that we've done. Because we started as on the varsity team as a freshman. Or because we dominated that calculus test that everybody else failed. Or because that one time we asked that person to come sit with us at lunch that always sits alone. And so we see this reality in our lives that every label that we have starts with an action. And so as we jump into our passage today, what we're going to see is another awkward situation. Another situation with somebody whose label is linked back to an action that they did. And we're going to see, like in my situation, because of her action, it impacted the way people saw her and it impacted the way that people treated her. And so in Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, this is what we're going to see taking place. So, so the setting of the story that we have, we see in the first verse, and it's that Jesus is grabbing dinner with this Pharisee named Simon. That Luke 3, or Luke 7, 36 says that when one of the Pharisees, Simon, we'll learn his name later, later, invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. So two things that we need to remember in order to really understand what's about to happen in the story. Because dinners back then were completely different than dinners that we have today. First, instead of sitting in a chair, what people would actually do would lie down on their side with their feet behind them, and they would grab and they would eat with one hand. So they were going like family, like photo style as they were eating their food, right? Legs out, hanging out. That's how they ate. And the second thing that was different back then, that's a soft way of saying it. I think it's just weird. Um, but people would actually come from the town, right? Locals would come and show up and would actually hang around the room as the people were eating dinner. So they would come, they would eavesdrop on the conversations to kind of see what the latest gossip was. Or they would interact with an important guest like Jesus who was there, they would come so they could talk to him and they could hang out with him. So the thing about the study of this room is people like Jesus and Simon laying on their sides, eating with their feet behind them and all around, this room is filled with local people coming to hear conversations and to talk to Jesus. And so as this room is filled with people hanging out, having a good time, somebody unexpected from the town decides to show up. Somebody unexpected shows up and totally crashes this party. Because we see in Luke 7, verse 36, it says, A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And so Luke doesn't give us a lot of details about this unexpected guest, but what we do know about her is very important. Because Luke describes her as somebody who lived a sinful life. And so what this phrase most likely means is that this girl was a prostitute. And everybody who was sitting around there would know exactly who she was. Everybody in this town would know that that was the life that she lived. And so can you imagine just the type of shame that came upon her as she was interacting with others in her daily life? Or how she was constantly reminded of this gap between who she was and who she should be? Because if she showed up in this place, people knew who she was. And so throughout this series, each, each week, 
this week and the next three weeks, we're going to have one word that we're going to focus on each night. And so tonight, the word we're talking about is sin. Because like the girl in this story, so much of the shame in our life is associated with our sin. And so Jesus is lying there on the ground, right? This girl shows up with this questionable reputation. And then she begins to do something during this dinner that nobody in that room expected to happen. Because we read in verse 38, and she stood behind him at his feet, this being Jesus, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. All right, so, so first of all, important to know that in this time period, a woman wasn't even allowed to speak to a Jewish rabbi in public. So what this girl is doing here, she's gone completely rogue, right? I mean, she is completely out there. And if you've heard this story before and you're familiar with it, don't let the details that you already know take away from this reality that nothing normal is happening here. I mean, nothing normal is taking place in this situation. I mean, Jesus is lying there eating his dinner and this prostitute crawls by his feet, who's crying uncontrollably. And when she does, her tears are soaking his feet. It says it's wetting her feet. In fact, the Greek word for wet means rain. So he, she's just drenching his feet. And as this is happening, she grabs her hair, which, by the way, is not a common device we use to soak up liquids, right? <laughs> Let's be real. And she starts wiping his feet. And so as she's using her hair like a sham wow, she is kissing his feet repeatedly. And then she takes this perfume and she pours it over. <laughs> Guys, there is nothing normal about this. Everything about this situation is strange. So you better believe the people who were sitting there in that room felt completely awkward and completely uncomfortable because of what was happening. In fact, Simon, the one who's hosting this dinner, he's got some pretty strong opinions and some pretty strong feelings about what's taking place between Jesus and this girl. In fact, we see in verse 39, it says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. And then notice what he says here, that she is a sinner. And so Simon's disgusted here, right? He doesn't get why Jesus is allowing this inappropriate and disgraceful action to take place. In his mind, the willingness of Jesus to even allow this to happen must prove that Jesus isn't who he claims to be, right? It's proving that Jesus really isn't this prophet because if Jesus really understood that this girl has a label as a sinner, he wouldn't want anything to do with her. He wouldn't want anything to do with her. He wouldn't even want her filthy hands touching her. And so what we have to get here, what we have to see is what Simon is doing. What Simon is doing is he is labeling this girl. And he's labeling her based upon her actions, based upon what she's done. And since every label starts with an action, her action as a prostitute means to Simon that she needs to be given this shameful label as a sinner. And so what Simon does here is really just point to a reality that we all experience in our lives. 
And it's this reality that labels aren't chosen by the ones who wear them. The labels that we're given aren't the ones that we chose. Instead, right, they're given to us. Right? That's what happened in my story. Right? I didn't choose this label as a snitch. Instead, that was the label that my roommate decided to give me because of an action that I did. And in this story, this girl is given this label as a sinner. Not because she chose it, but instead because of the actions that she did. And so we see that the labels that we have are labels that are chosen by others to give us. And this is big. This is big when it comes to us understanding this dynamic between shame and sin in our life and how this comes together and how this intersects and what's going on in our lives. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we all get this, don't we? We all get how this woman feels who's hanging out at the feet of Jesus. Because we all know what it's like to be given a shameful label that we don't want. And we all know what it's like to be given a shameful label because of the actions that we've done that we wish we didn't have. And we know the mistakes in our past, the things that we've done that we wish we could take away, that we wish never happened, that we wish we could move away from, but we haven't. And so because of that, people, others, have given us a label. Right, we get it. We get what it's like to be given a shameful label because we made that mistake and went too far with that person that we were dating. Now, everybody that we hang out with knows about it. Right, we know what it's like to be given a shameful label because our parents caught us looking at something on our phone that we know we shouldn't have. Right, and we know what it's like to be given a shameful label because we sent those pictures of us to that person who decided to show it with all the friends. We get this. We get what's happening in the story. Because we know what it's like to be given a label because we did things that we're not proud of. And because labels aren't given to the ones who choose them, or labels aren't given to those who choose them, what we see in our lives is this idea that we can't change how people label us. We feel like we're stuck with it, right? We feel like this is just who we are now, right? There's nothing that we can do in our lives to change and to take away how that person or how those people now feel about us. We feel like now this is just how people see us. And then we start to believe this idea that it's how God sees us as well. That God sees us based upon this gap between who we should be and who we are. And so we feel like now our relationship with God has been stained because of what we've done. And so we can't talk to him the way we used to, right? We can't pray to him the way we used to. We can't worship him the way we used to. And we can't even look at him the way that we used to. Because we feel like every time he looks at us, all he sees is this shameful label written across our lives and permanently. And we're left sitting there with a relationship with God that is stained. And we have no idea what to do about it. And what's absolutely amazing as we continue to walk through our story 
is although Simon has chosen to give this girl a label, a shameful label based upon what she's done, Jesus sees her completely differently. Because Jesus is sitting there, he's doing this whole God thing, so he can know what Simon is thinking. So he decides to respond to Simon's thoughts. I'm sure that wasn't weird. And so as he's sitting there, he decides to pose a question to Simon. To ask Simon a question to show Simon this label that this girl actually wears. And so this is what it says in the next verse, in verse 40. So then Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 and the other 50, right? And this is 500 denarii. So this would have been a day's, a day's wage. So we know that 50 and 500, right? 50 is 10 times 500, right? We understand that? We get that? I sounded very hesitant when I said that because I was. But we know that it's bigger. That's the point. Let's just go with that. You guys can question my math skills later. Um, but we know this bigger, right? And so he makes this point and says, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, here's the question. Now, which of them would love him more? Right, that's a legit question. And so Simon replied, I suppose, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And so Jesus says, you have judged him correctly. And so the point that Jesus is making with this really short story is this idea that the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal, right? The bigger the debt that's forgiven means the bigger the deal, bigger the gratitude, bigger the love, bigger the whatever of the person whose debt is taken away. And we get this, right? And this is just a common truth of everyday life, right? I mean, if somebody has $50,000 of student debt and that's erased, it's going to be a much bigger deal to them than somebody who only has $5,000 of student debt. Because the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal. And so Jesus is using this common reality of life to prove this amazing spiritual point. Because after Simon answers this question, he begins to tell Simon something in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came to your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And then Jesus continued to say, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And then Jesus describes her by saying, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever is forgiven little, loves little. And so see, Simon, when Jesus came to his house, refused to do what was just typical common hospitality of his day. He refused to wash his feet because they were dirty from him walking. He refused to give him a kiss on the cheek as a greeting like we give a handshake today. But Jesus is saying that when Simon, you did nothing, this girl steps up. And she steps up because she knows what Jesus has done for her. She understands this reality that the bigger the debt means, the bigger the deal. And she knows that the debt of sin in her life is massive. Because of how she has chosen to live, the depths of her sin and the depths of her shame seem incalculable. But she also understands what Jesus offers her. 
that he offers her forgiveness. He offers for this massive debt to be erased in her life. And so when this is taking place, right, and she's understanding what's happening to her, she could care less about sticking to the status quo. She could care less about what other people in that room are thinking because she is trying to express out of her great love to God and her great love to Jesus how much she means to him. So she goes before his feet. She's weeping with tears. She's drying his feet with hair and she is pouring expensive perfume on him because she's trying to express to God how much she loves him because she understands how much she's wiped away her big, massive debt. You see, Jesus gets this. He knows what she's doing isn't inappropriate. He knows what she's doing isn't disgraceful. He understands that's an expression of love for him. And then after he addresses Simon, he turns to this girl and he says the most amazing words that she's ever heard in her life. He said to her, your sins are forgiven. And we cannot miss the significance of what's happening in this moment when it comes to our shame. Because as this girl is sitting in this room, everybody who is there from the town has a label for her. Everybody in that town has chosen to label her based upon her actions, based upon what she's done. But when Jesus sees her, he sees something completely different. And he sees a completely different label in her life. Because he doesn't label her based upon the gap between who she is and who she should be. He doesn't label her based upon her past actions. Instead, he chooses to give her a label based upon the fact that her sins are forgiven. And so Jesus declares in this moment that she is a child of God. That is her label. That is how he sees her. And unlike her old label, that everybody in the town has given her this label isn't based upon what she's done. It's based upon what Jesus has done for her. And because what Jesus does at the cross for us, we can have this label as well. Because when, like this woman, we have been given a label because of what we've done, Jesus chooses to do something about it. He chose to come down to this world to give his life as a ransom for me. He chose to die a shameful death on the cross so that the depths and the depth of the depth of our sin, like this girl's, could be erased. And he rises from the dead so that when we come to him as she does, he can look us in the face the way that he looks at her and he can say, your sins are forgiven. Because the amazing reality of the cross is this that Jesus takes our shameful label as a sinner upon himself so that you and I don't have to wear it. Jesus takes this label of a sinner upon himself so that you and I in this room don't have to be labeled based upon what we've done, but instead we can be labeled as a child of God based upon what Jesus did. And so for us, man, praise God that we're not given a label because of who we are, but we're given a label based upon what Jesus has done for us. And when we understand the implications of what's happening here, this is absolutely life-shattering for us. Because what this means for us today is that nothing that you've done in your past 
has stained your relationship with God. Nothing that you've done in your past has caused God to look at you and think that you have this label written in permanent ink across your life. Everything about the gospel and everything about this story tells us otherwise, doesn't it? And instead, we see something absolutely amazing in contrast. Because what we actually see from this story is all those shameful things that we've done in our lives. All those things that we regret, that we wish we could take back can actually be used in our life to cause our relationship with God to grow and to cause our love for him to be even greater. I mean, that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what we see with this woman, right? When she understood the depths of her sin, when she understood how massive of a debt that she owed God and that she was forgiven, her heart was overwhelmed with love for God. Those past actions were fueled to enable her relationship with God to grow. And so what that means for us is the same thing is true. That means all those things in your past that you want to erase, that you want to take away, that you wish weren't there, can be fuel to enable you to grow in your relationship with God. Because when you understand the bigger the debt, then you understand the bigger the deal. And your love for God can be fueled and motivated based upon your past actions, even those things in your life that you do everything in the world to take away. That's the beauty of God's love, and that's the beauty of who God is, that he even takes the things in our life that we want to take away, and we can, he can use that so that our hearts are overrun with love for him. And we no longer have to experience shame because of those, because those aren't what label us anymore. Instead, we've been given this label as a child of God based upon what Jesus has done and not because of what we've done. So as we take this second step in overcoming shame in our life, that's what we have to remember. We have to remember that I'm labeled by his action, not my actions. That's the takeaway. I'm labeled by his action at the cross, not the actions of my life. So because of what God has done through Jesus, this is what this means. It means we no longer have to experience shame in our lives anymore because we're no longer labeled by our actions. I mean, think about that. Think about the significance of that. You no longer have to experience shame in your life anymore because you're not labeled by your actions. You're labeled because of what Christ has done. And so when we have that right perspective, right, we've talked about in this series, Shame is overcome by perspective, not perfection. That's the perspective that we have. That's how God sees us. God sees us as loved, accepted, and forgiven because of what Christ has done. That's the label that we have. And because that's the greatest label that we can possibly get, that's how we define ourselves. That's how we live our life. And so because of that, shame is something that we don't have to experience anymore. And that's the beauty of the cross, and that's the beauty of God's love for you. Because we are labeled by his action, not our actions. And so as we wrap up, here's my question for you. My question is, what label are you wearing? Right, when you look at your life, what label are you wearing? 
Are you wearing a label that is based upon the past things that you've done, based upon the past actions of your life, or are you wearing a label based upon the cross? Are you wearing a label that's causing you to want to run from God because you feel like your relationship with Him has been stained? Or do you have a label that's causing you to run towards God because you realize the bigger the debt forgiven, the bigger the deal and the bigger the love? Because if you're a Christian in this room tonight and you realize that you've been wearing a different label, my challenge to you is to have the right perspective. To see yourself the way that God sees you. That, that for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. You're a child of God now. That's who you are. That's your label. So start seeing yourself based upon that. And if you're not a Christian, here's my challenge to you. My challenge to you is to fall down at the feet of Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers anybody who comes to you. Those past things in your life, those past sins, those past moments of shame don't have to be your life. Because we have a God who's willing to take that label on the cross so that we don't have to wear it. So that's my challenge to you. And let's live out this reality in our lives that our label isn't based upon what we've done, but based upon what God has done for us in Christ. And so with that, man, let's, let's worship God together. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that you are a God who does not label us because of what we've done. That's what we deserve. That's what we should be labeled as. But you are a God in your grace, in your love, and your forgiveness who gives us a new label because of the cross. So our response to that tonight, God, is to worship you. Our response to that tonight, God, is to understand who you are and what you've done for us. So God, as we sing this song that talks about how we've been saved by your grace and we've received this love and the forgiveness, not because of who we are, but because of what you've done, Lord, help us to have the right perspective. To know that you're the one who determines our label, that you are the one who chose to save us. And all those things in our life that we wish weren't there, help us to realize that that, that debt has been paid because of Jesus. To be with us here, God, right here, right now. May we sing to you in a way that honors you, in a way that glorifies you, in a way that makes us look more like you, in a way that helps us understand how the bigger the debt means the bigger the deal. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.